Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis? Well, We are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Welcome everybody back to the podcast. This week, I have the pleasure of talking with friend and colleague Robin. And uh, we're going to nerd it out on this podcast. So her and I found a mutual thing that we are both like super excited about talking about. And so this podcast is definitely for practitioners who would like to nerd out with us. Um, (laughs) But, you know, patients and clients are absolutely also going to get something out of this because you'll get to hear two pelvic floor physios who have been physios for a long time, you know, really going through how our practice is evolving, how our approach is evolving, how there's new science and new ways of approaching things. And so you get to hear what goes on in our brains, which may be interesting to you or maybe not. You'll, you'll, you'll have to determine that for yourself, but Robin, thanks for taking time to like have this chat with me. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited about it. As you said, this is like something I could nerd out about. So there you go. And I don't have enough people to nerd out about this. Right. And, um, one of the things that I find so helpful that when I do get into these types of discussions, um, it helps me integrate, and see possibility that I'm not able to see, like, because I have my way of thinking about how I'm processing the information that I'm learning. Mm -hmm. But I also know that there's more, there's more to it, there's more opportunity to learn. And one of the things, you know, we're going to be like diving into polyvagal theory. And I think Stephen Porges even says himself, that like, it still surprises him, how his theory is being uptaken by different professions that he had no idea how people would be applying his theory clinically. And so like, even for him, his research now is expanding because of the different clinicians and practitioners taking his information and being, and like actually applying it to the real world. So yeah, it's a great so cool. opportunity. You can expand on each other's ideas. I like that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I'm curious about. It's like, how did you fall into the polyvagal theory? Yeah. Uh, an odd way, a roundabout way. Um, and also not, but I 
when I had my son, so he's four and a half now, I had a traumatic birth that I didn't realize at the time was traumatic, but probably a year or so it started, I sort of came out of the fog and I was seeking out stuff. And one of my colleagues, um, who's a psychotherapist introduced me to Kimberly Ann Johnson. And so I took one of her courses. Um, I think at the time it was called Jaguar something. Anyways, she talked about the polyvagal theory and that's how I got introduced to it. And then after that, it really clicked for me. It seemed to connect all the parts of my practice that I had been working on separately. It made them all kind of come together. And so then I got really interested in it and did some, mostly at that time, there wasn't any courses aside from Kimberly Ann Johnson. There wasn't like trauma-informed care. There wasn't very much. And so I read books. (laughs) I read um, Peter Levine's work, um, Bessel van der Kolk. Actually, one of my, the one that seems to connect with me the most is Dr. Gabor Mate. And so interestingly, I had read his book when the body says no, probably in my first two years of practice, like a decade ago. And it really impacted me and changed the way that I practice, but I kind of left it there. And so it's kind of circling back. I reread it and, and have been watching some of his lectures and stuff like that. That's, that's where I came to. How about you? Yeah. So (laughs) funny enough, right? Like totally, it's just so interesting how like little pieces kind of clink, 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 clink into place. So I, because of my podcast, I was interviewing a occupational therapist Mm. who does pelvic health and she teaches and uh, she had in our discussion talked about the vagus nerve. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's like really interesting. And she talked about a particular book about working with the vagus nerve. And this particular book, I think was written by an osteopath who worked with the vagus nerve. So I, you know, kind of got that book. And so that kind of started to introduce me just like to the anatomy of the vagus nerve. And then I did another podcast with Neil Pearson and him and I were talking about um, at that time, I had been quite excited about discovering the DIMS and SIMS exercise from Lorimer Mosley. And I had found that to be really helpful for as like a working through thinking exercise for patients in pain. And so then he posed a question to me like, I, and I can't remember it exactly, but it was like, because the natural instinct is to try to deal with the dangers, like try to remove them, try to fix them. Right. Like, and in fact, if you think about the way we live our lives, it's like, we want to avoid all the unpleasant things. Like don't feel it. Don't experience it. Don't, you know. Right. And he said, is it more important to get rid of the danger or is it more important to foster safety? And I was like, mic drop. Like that question just like, it kind of knocked me back. And I was just like, oh, dang. Like, <laughs> I'm focusing in on the danger part and like, how do we reduce that? And like, 
Mm-hmm. And so I think he talked about the, or had mentioned the polyvagal theory, had mentioned Stephen Porges's work. Uh, and I think he was talking about like another practitioner who was writing something up. And so he kind of sent me some resources. And so as I started to dive into that part, I started reading and I was just like, oh, this is making, like, this is making a lot of sense. I had already read Bessel, Bessel van der Klo- Well, I hadn't read it. I'm an audiobook person because I commute back and forth to work. So I need something to do for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I have a child at home. I can never read because she won't let me read. So I have to listen in the car. <laughs> so I listened to Bessel. Um, I'm very familiar with Peter Levine because now I'm, tra- I'm doing Peter Levine's training. Training. Yeah. Dr. Gabor Mate, like hundred percent, like total reframe. Um, and I think I got introduced from, uh, I got introduced to Dr. Gabor Mate's work through the Tim Ferriss podcast. I think he was being in- interviewed. I think they were talking about yeah. addiction or something. And I was just like, Holy, what a reframe. Yeah. Um, and then I took a course from, I don't know if we're talking about the same psychotherapist friend, because you introduced me to a psychotherapist. And so yeah. I was seeing her and we were talking. And so it's funny because I would come in, I'm like, okay, so I'm reading the polyvagal theory and I think I have a problem with this and I need you to help me with this. <laughs> she would just so entertain me because I would come in with all of my research and I'm like, okay, I think this is what's happening inside. Of it. Yeah. Cool. It kind of connected you back to your body. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then I took her trauma-based course and then, you know, like, and it just literally started snowballing out from, from there, like all of these pieces I've taken Mm -hmm. other like online courses, um, through the N I C A B M Institute. I don't know if I got that acronym correct, but I've been taking their stuff because I wanted to listen to Bessel and I wanted to listen to um, Stephen Porges and other people working within the trauma realm because, you know, as physiotherapists, we're not getting that really, we're not getting that information whatsoever. And, it, and, and certainly while we try to ask about if there's trauma, it's like, okay, great. I've asked you, but now what do I do? How does that inform what I do with my hands, because I don't want to be a source of danger for Mm -hmm. my patient. Yeah. Well, and two things that I feel like I want to expand on that you talked about go on so many tangents today, but so as physios, I think we have been afraid to expand on the trauma part because we're worried it's not in our scope because it's previously been thought to be very mental and mind focused. And what I liked about the polyvagal theory was that it explained what I kept seeing was that these people that I would see and myself too, they'd be experiencing traumatic things or they had in the past and were showing in their nervous system that they were in the stress response. And if I didn't touch on that, they wouldn't get better. Like it's not just the ankle that was bothering them. It was their nervous system. And so what I liked about polyvagal theory is that it explained it in a way that for me, it's the nervous system that's impacted by trauma. And yes, the mind is too, but it becomes very clearly in our scope when you understand it's the nervous system that's impacted by trauma and stress. And we as physiotherapists, 
can impact the nervous system and that is actually what we are good at and so that was yeah because movement is medicine and movement impacts the nervous system exactly and then you can impact how a body is handling stress and trauma so that was one thing that you said that I, I wanted to like point out, like, of course we haven't done this as physios because we're so in our like physical body silo, we're just starting to do biopsychosocial stuff. And yeah, the other thing you said, that's so cool that near Neil Pearson said it that way about like, we are always focused on a danger. And that is true about physios too. Like we were taught in school to look for where's the dysfunction and where's the weakness, what is wrong and let's fix it. Right. And I think trauma informed care and the polyvagal theory helped me to make it obvious to focus on where, where are you resilient? What is your body doing right to help you and where are your strengths and let's build on those and focus on those which was totally a change, right? As you were saying. Yeah. And I'll add to that, that what I have found with respect to the polyvagal theory and body-based trauma work, or just like the information that I have, have gotten. And again, working on my own trauma, right? So this is like, I don't just research this, like I'm in it, you Mm know? Uh, what I have discovered with this type of work and the work of these like mentors of ours is that it's not that something's wrong with us. It is in fact, actually that our nervous system did the most intelligent, the best thing that it could do in the moment to make sure that we could survive the thing that we needed to experience and that it's not something wrong with us. It's that it's a pattern or it's a response that is no longer serving us in the present moment, right? Because I went in to my psychotherapy, my trauma work going there. And I remember very distinctly, I was like, I don't know that I have a particular trauma. There must be either something deeply, deeply hidden in me or there's something fundamentally wrong with me. I need you to find it and let, let's basically get rid of it. That was, that was like my initial. And I was like, through all the work, it was like, there is actually not anything wrong with you. That when you look at the polyvagal theory and you understand that your physiology, your automatic responses are literally picking the thing to help you survive and to protect you. And in fact, that is the most intelligent thing it can do. And that needs to be, um, those processes need to be supported. So when trauma happens, it's like your body's going into a physiological response that gets interrupted or it gets too much, too fast, too overwhelming, and it gets lodged in the body, Mm -hmm. which the body impacts the mind. The mind impacts the body. Like this whole like Descartes thing, like, damn you, separating mind and body, right? Um, And so we, we as in the medical system have become silos. And this is where the biopsychosocial, and you could expand that biopsychosocial to ecological to like, we're talking about the whole spectrum of what it means to be a human interacting in this particular reality. And none of it is actually separate. It is all 
interconnected. And so it was really helpful because I felt a lot of shame and guilt about the things I was experiencing and the difficulties I was having with, you know, a relationship or getting stuck with something in my business. I felt a lot of guilt and shame about that. And it gave me permission to relax around that. Like the theory, understanding that like all of those responses were serving a really important function. And like, thank you so much body Mm -hmm. for trying to do the best thing that you could do to help me survive. Mm -hmm. And now I don't need that response anymore. Yeah. It's like reconnecting you with your body and, and appreciation or like you're on the same team again. Right. And also to normalize that, like I would say that myself and most people that I see, we all feel like something is failing in our body or like something's wrong with you. Something isn't working. Your body has given up on you or things like that. And of course we do too. Like we live in a society that benefits when we think that if, if something's wrong with us, then we buy stuff to fix it. (laughs) Like, of course we all think that that's what we've been kind of brought up to think in this capitalist society. Right. That's another topic, but, um, but it's normal for us to think that too, right? Like our, it's normal for our body to go into this protect mode and, and try and help us. And it's normal for us to feel like that isn't working. And, and I think like how many of us have thought that trusting our gut we're, we're being crazy or we're overly emotional or, oh, don't be unrealistic. Right. Of course it's not that, but it probably was like, I don't know many people that have trusted their gut and been wrong. Yeah. And we call that neuroception. So in polyvagal theory, that is called neuroception. Mm -hmm. And the way that I understand neuroception is that, you know, our sight, our sound, our hearing, our smell, our taste, our skin, you know, all of these kind of um, sensory, you know, um, receptors, their job is to scan the environment, looking for safety, danger, life threat. And we're scanning all the time for those three things for cues, Mm -hmm. but it's all happening subconsciously. There's no conscious mind involved with neuroception. So when you, and I'm sure people have experienced this, like you just meet somebody and you either are like super drawn to them, like you've just met them. Like, why, why do I just want to be around this person? Or you meet somebody and you're just like, I don't know what's up, but like, I want to move away. And that's our neuroception, right? That's the intuition, the gut. It's not woo-woo. It's literally your system through evolution for Mm -hmm. our species survival needs to be able to discern cues Mm -hmm. of safety, danger, and life threat. Mm -hmm. Because if we're not good at that, then we die. Mm -hmm. And that's not good, right? No, exactly. And do you have anything to add to that? The way that I explain that is like a bunny in the field, right? And they're eating grass and then their hair stands on end. And that was because their nervous system, without them being aware of it, felt a bright vibration, felt wind changes, felt temperatures, heard something. All of those signals told the bunny that it was time to bolt. The hair stands on end and the bunny gets out of there. It doesn't think, 
I don't see a wolf. I must be imagining it. That, but that's what we think because people have told us that we must be imagining these feelings, right? Anyways, the, the bunny is how I explain it because it seems obvious with a bunny. That's neuroception for that bunny. And of course it should trust it because it's got to survive against the wolf. But in our lives now, there's not really like an obvious wolf. It's kind of vague. And so those feelings and instincts in us seem silly, but they, they aren't. <laughs> exactly. So I think maybe now, I mean, maybe we should have started with this, but we're going to do it now anyways, is, uh, so we, like we've said polyvagal theory, and I don't know that, um, like for people who are listening, they're probably like, are you going to talk about what that is? (laughs) Are you guys just going to like dance around it and have this like wonderful conversation, but I'm, I'm just a regular person and I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. So in the event, uh, and I, and I mean, there's many practitioners actually that I talk about too, because one of my group physio programs is centered around the polyvagal theory. And sometimes I talk to practitioners and I'll say, yeah, like it's based on polyvagal theory and somatic experiencing. And they're looking at me like I'm speaking a different language. So, so it may be helpful also for practitioners. Not everyone are, they're not all nerds on polyvagal theory like us. No, 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 no. (laughs) I just, it's like, how does not, like, how is this like not something that we're all like being taught, right? Um, Well, there's obvious, there are some obvious reasons why we're not being taught, maybe a topic for another day. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'd be curious to hear, like, when you conceptualize the polyvagal theory, when you talk about it to a patient, because I think that would be the most helpful, not to Mm -hmm. go like full on nerd. Um, Like, when you talk about polyvagal theory to a patient, like, how do you frame that? Yeah, I really liked the analogy that Kimberly Ann Johnson used, and it was a traffic light. Um, I don't know if she's still using that, but that's that one really connected to me. So that's how I explain it. So I explain like the polyvagal theory is a theory of how we respond to stressors or potential or actual threats in our life. And we respond kind of in a progression like a traffic light. So if we come upon a stressor or or our body determines there's a stressor, we don't even need to be conscious of it. First, we scan the environment for our social system and we see, is there safety around us in the people around us? And so if we see things like creases in their eyes and their voice is calm and, and it changes tone and their body language is relaxed, that might give us a cue of safety. And so that would be when we'd go to green light and we'd relax. That's rest, digest, relate, and procreate. So our digestion works, we sleep better, we feel like we can trust others and relate to them easier, and our hormones are better and and more ready for procreation, better libido as well. So that's great. (laughs) We're safe in the cave with our our crew. Um, If that doesn't happen and we look around us and we don't see those safety cues, then we would go to the next best option for survival, which is yellow, and that would be flight or fight. 
So we would try first to run away. That's like an adrenaline rush. We, we get our muscles ready to bolt our heart races, things like that. And we don't sleep very well because we're always looking out is the, is the stressor there. Right. And if we can run away and escape the stressor, then we can go back to green. And if we can't, then we would go to fight, which would be like tension again, like thinking of getting ready to fight. You get lots of tension up here. Maybe there's a little bit of rage, aggression type of things. Anger. Yep. yep. Anger. And if we can fight the stressor, then we go back to green. And if we can't, then we go to red. And that's the next best option our body has for survival. And that's essentially like playing dead. It's freeze. <clears throat> so in that mode, if it were like an impala or a bunny, it, playing dead might convince your, your predator that it's not worth it. And they might leave you alone or they might think, okay, good. I, I killed them and I'm going to go get my cubs and you could, you could escape. So it's a very functional option. And as well, it creates some numbing so that if that stressor does get to you, you don't feel it as much. And so for us as humans, that could be things like depression or zoning out or Netflixing for hours. <laughs> That's a good zone out. Um, it could feel like you have lack of motivation or like, it's just really hard to get up and go. Yeah. Low tone, low body tone, low, you know, just not feeling like you can do stuff. And that is a, a protective mechanism because it is safer to be still when that stressor is still there. If you're thinking of the stressor, like a predator, right? So it's all a helpful thing, but sometimes we get stuck there because the stressor doesn't go away. Like financial stress doesn't just run away when it gives up on you, right? Like it's still there. And so we kind of get stuck and, and that can be really hard. It doesn't, it doesn't help us as much when we're not actually running from a stressor or trying to escape. And so that's how I explain it, the theory to them. Yeah. I like, uh, I like that, uh, example. I mean, I have a similar, descriptor um I kind of go from from the perspective of like you know imagine you're out in the open savanna right you're kind of tilling the land or whatever and you're you know you hear a sound so the first thing is you're going to engage your social engagement system so you're going to kind of you're going to have a moment of you know potential like hypervigilance like you're going to almost it's almost like a freeze-like response where you like kind of stop And then you want to look around and then you want to see, are there people around me? Right? Like what, you know, what are they doing? Did they hear something too? Is it a, you know, I, you know, I'm hearing some sounds of a lion back there. Like are people, you know, are there people here who in the event something shows up, like we can run or fight together, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So we look to our social system Mm -hmm. for that sense of safety, but if perhaps nobody's around, or everybody else is looking like, oh shoot, something bad's gonna happen here. <laughs> We're gonna revert to our next level of protection. So the fight or flight, right? We're all gonna run and try to get behind the gates of our village. Um, or if we're too far away or whatever, like we're all, we're gonna band together and fight. 
And then if that does not resolve and return back to safety, then we can go into full on freeze and or like dis, you know, dissociate, right? Like disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the last option because mm-hmm. it could be the end in that moment. I mean, if we're talking about like how our nervous system from an evolutionary perspective was wired, that's what we were wired because we had those kinds of dangers. Like there were lions <laughs> roaming around, right? Like there were predators in our environment, but I explained to patients, like, we don't have those same type of stressors. Like the likelihood of you running into a lion in Toronto is like, unless you're at the zoo and like, you're, you know, you're relatively safe there. Right. Um, So we're not likely to encounter that type of predator, but our nervous system is wired that when a stressor comes in, It's wired as if literally a lion is about to eat you. So, you know, when you're having your bills stacking up, so financial stress is a huge one. That is a lion literally, Mm -hmm. you know, in your environment. Mm -hmm. Or it's like you have a boss that you need to deal with and they're not nice to you. And so you like feel like you're walking on eggshells and like, I hope to God he doesn't yell at me or like, tell me I did a bad job. That's a stressor. Yeah. And, and I would even add that it is a privilege not to have those actual stressors. Cause I would say it might be more likely that marginalized people like black and indigenous people actually do have physical threats yeah. on a way more regular basis than we do. So whether that is that <clears throat> they're threatened by the neighborhood they're in or the presence of police or whatever it might be. Yes. Or people that are threatened with um, food scarcity too, right? Like not being able to have, there are some actual threats that happen. um, Just not as much like the lion. I was thinking more along the animal. animal Yeah. Right. That's a good point. But I mean, you could get mugged. Right. Exactly. Like and that's much more likely for yeah. people that are in marginalized populations. Right. So it, it could be an actual stressor like that. Right. Or being yeah. a woman as well Absolutely. or LGBTQ, yeah. you know, um, yeah. just showing up in an environment. It may not be you're right. It may not be um, safe. A lot more physical danger. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that physical danger is eliminated and I mean we face it every day it's just not like as blatant like every time we get into a car right like we need to be vigilant yes in the car because yeah yeah as the driver nonetheless you have to have like you have to stay focused we need our sympathetic nervous system to be active and and mobilized and scanning and paying attention so you know we do yes we do have um physical threats that are present. Like you're at the park and you're watching your kid play. And like, as a parent, you are vigilantly making sure that they are not climbing up those monkey bars in a weird way. Um, you know, so yes. Uh, well, and, and now like, even if we do have those physical stresses or threats, it is not as socially acceptable to respond like we would maybe instinctively respond, right? Like, there's social norms <laughs> that we have to kind of 
follow, right? So actually the book, did, have you read Burnout? By, uh, I have the audio version. I haven't listened to the whole thing, um, it's, but I did listen to her book, Come As You Are. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. It's the burnout one is good because it does talk about that. How like, if there is sort of like a physical threat of, let's say like your boss is coming up really close to you and yelling at you in the wild, if that was like an animal, you might scream back and try to become larger. Yes. I I heard this example. Yes. 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 Continue. That's probably going to make you lose your job. So we have this social um, conscience that that stops us from doing perhaps what's instinctual. Our body still releases things that makes us want to do that, but we stop it because we're like, okay, I hate how he's yelling at me and I feel like I just want to yell back, but I'm going to hold it in because I don't want to lose my job, that kind of thing. So then they talk about how, and I try and talk about this with clients too, of like, but you still have those, like chemicals and the physical response inside your body, you have to complete it sometime. When do you let out that, that innate instinctive rage back? Like, how do you let that out? Because otherwise it's stuck in there. Interesting. So maybe now's a good time to talk about the stress cycle. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you want to, do you want to tackle it or or I'm happy to. So I'd love to hear what you say. I sort of just continue it from the traffic light of like that instinctively our body wants to carry out these escape or fight or freeze responses. And we often socially cannot. So it can help our body to feel better or to feel like it has escaped. Like we've convinced it that it's escaped if we actually do it. So it might be that it's when you get home after that, your boss yelled at you, you might get home and you were on your drive home. You might scream in the car, (laughs) like yell back at the boss, but in the car, that might be completing that sort of cycle for you. Or if, if it's a freeze cycle, typically after freezing, an animal would run away or they would shake. And so we don't socially do that, right? So you froze when the boss was yelling at you because you couldn't run away and you couldn't fight in the moment. But then after he's done yelling at you, you can't run away, you're at work. <laughs> so, so there's like no completion, right? So then maybe it would be instead of screaming in the car, maybe it's that you go home, you go home and you go for a sprint, that kind of thing. That's yeah. typically how I, I would explain it yeah I I mean like I'll sometimes draw Mm. the stress Mm. cycle and talk about it like like I don't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily use this analogy but like I will draw it for them which looks kind of like a roller coaster and it's like you know that feeling as you're going up that roller coaster and you have all of those like sensations your heart rate's elevated your your hands are you know, cold, clammy or whatever, like you're having some sort of a response. And then it's like, you don't, it just like the, the, the roller coaster stops. Yeah. Well, all that stuff is still inside um, that needs to be completed. So I, I, I will use the Impala 
like, um, like I will talk about nature when nature moves through the whole stress response. So like basically Impala's there, senses a danger, freezes, orients, tries to find where it is, goes, uh Oh, there's the lion then Mm -hmm. goes into flight. When it knows it cannot escape, it falls down and plays dead. Mm -hmm. Right. There's like a delay. Like lion goes away. There's like the slight delay. And as soon as they come out of that freeze, they, they, they run, right. They sprint or they, the burst of energy is literally right there. Mm -hmm. And then they burn out the energy because they run. And then once they realize, oh, okay, I'm, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they will shake afterwards. Like Mm -hmm. once they've reached safety, whatever um, remaining energy hasn't been discharged, will result in them shaking it out. And it's so interesting because I think about my birth and I, you know, as soon as I gave birth, there was this like uncontrolled, it was uncontrollable, like massive leg shaking. And I had not known that that was going to happen. And I was like, there was a part of me that was a little bit freaked out because like I literally had no control over my legs. And I was like, why are they doing that? I mean, I understand it now from a polyvagal perspective is like, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, my body didn't know how much energy it was going to need. It just did what it needed to do to generate enough energy to complete the task. And then mm-hmm. it discharged the rest of the energy. Well, well, and same thing for us, right? Yeah. And isn't it like, so for people that don't know the polyvagal theory and anyone listening, I think it's also important to emphasize that being in any of these stages is not bad. It's there's lots of function and, and actually lots of benefit from being in fight or flight or being in freeze. It's beneficial. So like we use fight or flight when we exercise, it gives us energy to, to do stuff and it, gives us energy to accomplish goals and to get stuff done. And we use freeze in things like birth. So intimacy, like the last thing you want to do is be like not settled and calm and like relaxed when you're trying to be intimate with your partner on the flip side, maybe you like it a little bit more exciting and you need very sympathetic response, but let's just say you want to have like that calm, loving connection. Like you don't want to be all, jacked up on energy you want to be in that chill zone well and even like with the birth example it is a situation where you can't fight it and it it's not comfortable normally our instincts would be to fight it and you can't run away from it (laughs) it's inside you so you are a little bit in immobilization you can't do anything about it you're just there right and that I would say would be even exaggerated if you have an epidural because then you really can't move. And so these are being in that red in that moment, isn't necessarily a bad thing if we let our body like complete that cycle. Right. And so the shaking is the instinctive way that our body is like, I got to get all this energy out. And it is scary because we're not used to experiencing that. But if someone explains it to you, it makes sense. Sometimes I'll also like going back to that whole like guilt and shame piece. Um, Examples I've heard is like, 
if I'm in, if I'm walking, let's say Central Park, it's kind of dark and mm-hmm. somebody comes out and wants to steal my purse, you know, I don't know if they do or do not have a weapon. In that moment, my best response is to freeze and just let them take it, right? Mm -hmm. The guilt and shame comes in sometimes when people are like, well, why didn't you just fight back? And we even, after the fact, right, when we're looking back at that situation, we say to ourselves, I should have said something. I should have chased after him. I should have done X, Y, or Z. And now I feel guilty and shameful about the fact that I wasn't strong enough or good enough or whatever the narrative that's running from that. And so we almost have secondary suffering because we wanted our response to be different. But in fact, that response saved your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And Our physiology, right? Because the way that our nervous system is choosing those things may not be conscious. Like I'm not standing there going, I think I'm just going to stand here and let him rob me. It's like in that moment, your physiology is literally automatically making the best decision based on everything it is Mm -hmm. assessing in that environment. And even if you wanted to run, your system chose the freeze response. So you physically could not have moved because of the flood of chemicals, the, the, the lack of tone, like there's a physiological response that would not have let you do a different response based on that information. It's, you know, it's in hindsight that once our rational mind comes online, we start to like hindsight's 2020. Well, if I had only seen this or done, well, you, but you didn't have access to that. So your nervous system, in fact, made the best response it did. Why? Because you're here. You're here to tell me the story of that, right? And so I like to let people know that like your body's going to make the best response that it can in that particular moment. And there isn't shame or guilt and there is nothing wrong with you. And it's not that you're not strong enough or good enough or whatever. It's like this, we're talking about survival here and your body is making the best decision possible in that particular moment. But when we don't discharge that energy, we have what's called the repetition compulsion. So when the stress response is not completed, it will look for opportunities in our lives to complete the stress response. So if you feel like you're developing a pattern, like you have a pattern with relationships, like it goes all well, and then I do something to sabotage it. That is likely, there's likely some indication there that there's a a response somewhere that wasn't completed, right? And I would add to that too, that I think the hard part there is that attachment as a child is a very important part and adverse childhood experiences are very closely connected with trauma and chronic Um, illnesses and and dysfunction later. And so it might be that it's not just a pattern that needs to be completed. It is, but it also might be that you were never shown the example of how to complete it. So if we don't have that green light, or like if we look around in our social situation and we never see calm, or we never see safety, then we actually don't know what safety is. Yes. If, if, yeah, if the people that are our attachment 
caregivers or the people that are taking care of us, if they are in fight or flight themselves or in freeze themselves, then our, in quotations, air quotations here, our reassurance to safety is actually like a baseline of stress. And that would be how intergenerational trauma happens, right? Like there's no role model to show us how to regulate our nervous system. So of course we look for relationships that are familiar. Yeah, that because they're safe. They're because safe that's because what we know. Familiar, exactly. So our our baseline of or our our like blueprint of a safe relationship is one that's predictable and one that took care of us when we were young. And so if that was someone that was in fight, flight, or freeze, then of course we would seek that. Yeah. So when we think about chronic pain per se, because chronic pain can be there, there could be a history of trauma Mm -hmm. and attachment, perhaps issues there. So from, and I'm thinking like from a physio perspective, it's, you know, um, like how do we begin to introduce moments of safety and it has to be introduced in like titration, like little drop by drop, because safety is maybe not safe. It's unfamiliar. Yeah. yeah. So it feels threatening. And, yeah. and if you, for example, if you've lived in fight or flight, so feeling like mobilized and unable to sit still and feeling really anxious for your whole life, then coming back to a safe form cave feels like danger because you are letting your guard down. Yeah. You and what are... if the threat shows back up again? Yeah. yeah. So of course it's hard. Absolutely. Yeah. And so maybe I try and ask the client what feels right for them. I give them a couple options, but I might say, can we find safety in mobilization? Yeah. So can we find some safe ways to do fight or flight so that your nervous system feels safety, but you aren't still, and you're not feeling the threat of like letting your guard down yet. So that yeah. might be, could we do yoga? You're moving, right? The hard part of, about that is Shavasana at the end, but it could be an exercise class. It could yeah. be completing the cycle that way of like, let's do CrossFit or kickboxing and get out some of the fight flight, but have a social environment where you can like laugh with the person next to you or the instructor smiles at you and you get cues of safety that way. That's interesting. I mean, I I don't know if I like thought through, you know, sometimes you you do things because you have information and you're like, okay. And then, you know, as you're listening, I mean, you know, I talk in my group program about, you know, a lot of times like it's people can't sit down to meditate, you know, mindfulness and presence is really hard because that doesn't feel safe. It's actually like, it actually creates a stress response. And so I will often teach these mobilized, like movement, mindfulness, mindfulness, right? So I'll teach shaking. Like we'll, we'll do it in, in, in our, in in my course, or we'll pretend to run or we'll, um, you know, dance or, um, you know, we're going to go for a mindful walk 
and we're going to let our impulse lead the walk. And we're just going to see what, you know, sort of, you know, like, so when I get them to try to get into a sense of presence, it's always Mm -hmm. through like sort of a, a, a doing action. Right. And I give, and I teach other options as well, but you know, I find for, for people who tell me that they can't sort of sit still or don't like meditation or whatever, it's like, okay, well, we, there are other ways to come into the system Mm -hmm. that feel safer. And I think maybe this might be a good time to talk about top down, bottom up. Yes. And just, I have one thing to add here. The other thing that's interesting is novel movement. So a new movement that you haven't done before is innately mindful because you have to pay attention to it because you've never done it before. So you have to follow instructions. You have to be like, well, I put my arm here and my hand here. Like it's mindful because it's new. And we know that novel movements help with pain. So that's, interesting again like kind of full circle when I did all my persistent pain stuff learning the trauma part of it really I was like oh that's why that works that's what that was exactly like when we learned mapping techniques Mm -hmm. I was like I like there was like one part of me that's like I get it but Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it to my patient like I understand that it's helpful and I'm teaching it but I find that they I find they uptake it better when you give them context. And I give my patients, like I'll give them context as to like, we're doing this movement or this like technique because X, Y, or Z and hear how it's going to help you versus like, I'm going to show you this, this, this mapping. And like, I don't feel kind of attached to it. Like I don't feel anchored in it because I don't have the, there wasn't yeah. enough to like, I mean, I kind of understood because we talked yeah. about central sensitization and yeah. all of that piece. And like, we sort of had it, but the polyvagal theory just brought it all together. And like, yeah. that is why, oh, okay. Like, and it brought it into the physiology. It wasn't like this, like intellectual concept. Like we're going to do this, this, and this, there was like, it's rooted in science is rooted in physiology and like I can I have now the tools to explain this is the purpose of that I agree yeah same um top down and bottom up yeah so I I feel like we'll touch on this yeah and I think this is going to be the end of part one because (laughs) we're gonna have to split this up into two podcasts I think because there's just like way too much and your brains are probably like whoa so we'll we'll, we'll hit this and then we'll go you know you'll get everybody will get part two you know later Mm -hmm. um but I wanted to tell you I felt like it was like a good thing to talk about because I will I use Bessel van der I Bessel van der Klok had this like description of like how the nervous system works and I made a diagram of that And then I sort of explain top down, top is up here, like mindfulness, yoga, like CBT, like where the idea is, is we're kind of using our mind to influence the physiology. Yeah. So our mind, the state of our mind impacts the state of our nervous system. Yeah. 
Yes. And then I show, okay, but there's also this bottom up because sometimes, especially if we're in a heightened activation state, my rational mind is not in a place where I'm going to be able to sit down and think through things because I just don't have access. Like it's just not, it's not online. I, I can't use that part of my mind because it's not online. So if my physiology needs support, movement, you know, sometimes manual, like that's where manual therapy or touch may come in, movement, exercise, sometimes education I find can be there if they're online enough to like, we're going to go through this diagram and we're going to explain pain. And we know that explaining pain can support people to feel better because you it's less scary when you understand what's happening. It takes away part of the threat. Yeah, it takes away part of the threat. Then the nervous system calms down. So it's not that it's just the education. It's the education is addressing the threat. So the nervous system will start to downregulate. And when your nervous system downregulates, you're going to release tension in your body. When you're less tense, things flow easier. There's less compression. There's e- greater ease of movement. Um, so, so bottom up is using the nervous system to impact the mind, which I thought was interesting too, because when you are in fight, flight, or freeze, you tend to not be as trusting in social situations you tend to interpret neutral facial expressions as hostile because you are literally in protect mode, right? So think of in our thinking of rather our mental state, it also gets more positive when we are able to calm our nervous system because then we're safe and we can like relax. So yeah, so bottom up is nervous system impacting the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Which from my perspective, the bottom up is very obvious for physios that it's in our scope. I do think top down is somewhat like there's parts of it that are still in our scope too, but I think that's where physios have a hard time that believing that like CBT is in our scope or, you know, meditation, like those things are harder to get buy-in as physios that that's within our scope, but bottom up, is definitely clear anything with the body right we are doing that that we are impacting the mind with the body yeah yeah 100 percent. okay so we're gonna thank everybody joining in on this conversation <laughs> uh for part one and you know be sure to subscribe to the podcast because you're not going to want to miss part two and of course like if you have colleagues that are, you know, physio or body workers, whether that's chiro, massage, like, you know, really any of the professions, I think it's important for us to at least understand kind of some of the concepts um, because it can inform how we might approach or how quickly we approach manual therapy. Maybe we need to slow down, especially with individuals who are with persisting pain. Like we might not, that might not be the first thing you want to do is like get in there really firmly, like we want to make sure that they're like, are you ready? Like really explaining what we're going to do to decrease their threat level so that they can relax enough 
for us to do the work. So share it to your colleagues and uh, join us for part two, and we'll connect with everybody next time. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.